Thank you all. <clears throat> it is really, really good to be here with you guys. We have known uh, Brian and Graham and, and the Fields Church for a long time, so it really is encouraging uh, to be here. I've actually got a picture of my family, I think, real quick that we can throw up just to give you guys a little perspective. And this is actually probably about 18 months ago or so. Uh, this is me, this handsome guy here, right? Uh, this is my wife, Charity. And Juliet and Sam are with me this morning. And then we have Valor and Jesse. These are our two adopted guys right here. Sam's from Kazakhstan, uh, if you know where that is. Jesse is from right here in Texas. And then uh, Juliet and Val are our two middle kiddos. We just have a great family. Um, we did. We planted in Waxahachie, Texas back in 2011, uh, just like Graham said. And that's when I met Brian. And we kind of began this friendship of walking sort of through this journey together of what church planting is like. Some of you guys may have been there uh, back at that time with, with, with Brian. And, man, it, it is a journey. And so some of you guys have labored on that. Um, Colton and Erica are diving headfirst into the journey that's going to be church planting, and we're going to go down and do that together. But like Graham said, this is bringing back some memories for us too because we met in the YMCA for a stretch of time. This was a little bit bigger and just a little bit nicer than ours is, but it smells almost exactly the same. So <laughs> I feel right at home being in the YMCA. So it just really is, and I don't say this uh, flippantly, it really is my privilege to be with you guys today. I think there's, you know, we have a lot of friends who are at other churches and pastors, but I would say the Fields Church and Brian and Graham are maybe one of the few who are closest to our hearts uh, and our elders and staff at our church and as a church family. So it really is my privilege uh, to be here with you guys this morning. Just want you to know that. And I love this setup and the families and tables on the outside. This is genius. I've got some ideas to take home with me. So we're going to be in two passages today. If you want to go ahead, um, if you have a book uh, like I do, this, this old school relic right here, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and kind of mark your place there. And then we're going to start out in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 8, that Colton read just a minute ago. If you have a phone or a tablet like a lot of people do nowadays, you'll just kind of have to flip. But we're going to start off in Exodus chapter 20. And as I've pastored and planted and the things that I've done, along the way, there have been, I will be honest and say, some unexpectedly rewarding seasons, um, like where, where days and seasons of joy hit me that I did not expect. Um, things like seeing God grow our team as we were planting and just establishing this baby church that I couldn't have imagined that God was going to do. And we had two of our kids after we moved to Waxahachie to plant. So even in that journey, while I've been pastoring, God has just done joyful, incredible things in my family. Uh, this season when we moved into the YMCA and the gift to us that that facility and that relationship was for us, it came in a very unexpected way. And just seeing God change very particular lives and be, bring people out of really particular and in some ways really challenging stories. It just fills my heart with joy and gladness at the things that God has done. And also along the way, there have been some surprisingly sorrowful seasons, some seasons that we walk through and that I walk through with my family, seasons of a spiritual attack or on some levels unfair accusation or unfair expectations from people or losing friends along the way, things that in those seasons when things just continue to happen, they just begin to grind on your soul where it feels like every day getting up and going through the things that God has put in our path just feels like it takes effort and work. 
And in those days, you know, I would take days off or I would go on vacation or trips and things like that with my family, and it would help a little bit. It would kind of take the edge off, but the fatigue and the soul churn that was on me would still be there when I would come back from those days off or from the weekend or from a vacation like that. And I know some of you guys have been there. All of us really have been there. A lot of you are nodding along as I'm saying this. We've been in these seasons like this. We're taking days off and vacations. Don't do all that we hope that they will do, that we come back from those things, from vacations and, and, and days off and times with family and friends, not really rested. And to be true, to be honest, for me, my soul was definitely not at rest coming back from those things. And so it staved off disaster a little bit, but I walked back into things still wrestling, still grinding, still feeling exhaustion and fatigue and soul just churn in me. I think most of us can understand what seasons of life like that are like and, and the feeling that those things bring to us. And here's the reality. God knows us and he loves us deeply. He sees you in the midst of that season. And so he gave us something that he calls Sabbath. Now, what is Sabbath? We've maybe heard this before. It's a very religious sounding word that comes from the Bible. Maybe some of you know that Sabbath means rest. And if that's true, why not just call it rest? Why use this big religious hard word like Sabbath? Why not just say rest if that's really what it is? And the answer is because Sabbath is a whole lot more than just rest. That in Sabbath, God is inviting us to a whole lot more than just a day off. In fact, more than he's just inviting us to rest, he's inviting us to be at rest. To have a life and a soul that is at rest and at a place of peace. But the question is, how do we get there? It's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to read that than to actually attain it. And getting to that place is really understanding what's behind it and what God has done. And so we're going to look at two passages today that sort of give us perspective on this. And sometimes it's really interesting to see how the Bible presents the same thing in two different places from two different perspectives and how those go together to teach us something about what God would say. And so in, in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 8, uh, some of you guys will know this is when God gives, them, gives Moses the Ten Commandments. So in verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And so what he says here to Moses is that for six days do all of your work, do your work work, do your housework, your yard work, all of your work. But the seventh day is my day, and I want you to do something different on that day. I want you to stop working. So all the things that you labor at, work hard at those things. But when the seventh day comes around, everyone should stop. You stop, your kids stop, your servants, even your animals should not be working on the seventh day. Everyone rests. And then why does he say that? And in verse 11, it gives us that answer. Because God took six days to create, and then he rested on the seventh day. And so what's happening is he's using this rhythm in creation as a model for how he wants his people to live the rest of their lives. But why did God rest? I think we have to ask that question. Was he exhausted from his work? The creating just took it out of him. He was so tired, he just needed a day off at the end of creation. He needed the weekend to come so he could just be restored. But we see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, where he says, Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And in Psalm 121, verse 4, it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So we see clearly from Scripture that God didn't rest because he had to. He rested just because he could. He just stopped. He just rested to just be and to enjoy what he had created. And so we see this kind of rhythm true for us, too, that, that the rest is not just our answer to exhaustion, or fatigue, that there is a rhythm of rest designed into the fabric of creation. That's, that's one of the, the, the principles that Scripture lays out for us. There's a whole rhythm of rest from the very beginning designed into the fabric of creation. It's really interesting. Even before the fall, listen, before sin, before exhaustion and fatigue were ever even in the world. Now, does that mean Adam didn't work hard and spend himself? No. It doesn't mean that, but before sin and, and judgment and death had entered into the world, I don't think that that sense of work left him fatigued and exhausted at the end of the day. And then sin came into the world. But even before those things were in the world, God designed rest into the rhythm of his creation. So his original designs that we would work and that we would work really, really hard, and then we would stop working. We would stop creating. We would stop producing. Whether our work was finished or not, we would stop and just enjoy him and enjoy his creation. And that was a rhythm that he created from the fabric of the world. And so we can look at Sabbath rest from a lot of different angles, but I just want to pick out two today. So number one, part of God's rhythm of rest is actually just to rest. That's part of what he wants for us in this rhythm of Sabbath rest that he creates for us is really actually just to rest. Now, for most of us, life moves at about 150 miles per hour when you were created to go about 55 miles per hour. We're not Lamborghinis. We're Ford Explorers. That's how God created us. We're not meant to go 100 miles an hour. But for most of us, our lives just move at that pace. There's a great quote. A really good book called The Rest of God uh, by a guy named Mark Buchanan on what Sabbath really is. Super, super helpful if you want to explore what Sabbath is all about. The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. But here's what he says. One of his quotes, we spend most of our lives working. And when we're not working, we spend most of that time thinking about it, complaining about it, fretting about it, preparing for it, recovering from it. We feel guilty when we don't do enough, resentful when we do too much. So this reality is true for most of us, that for most of us, we're working, 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 and when we're not, we're thinking about it or just recovering from it. And then in addition to that, most of us are also on information overload. We're always taking information in. Work meetings, emails, reports, phone calls, your kids' school activities, social media, podcasts, books, articles, news. It just keeps coming over and over again. And what I've found to be true in my own experience is that there are times when I just keep taking things in and I'm not even processing the information. Like I've worked hard and I'm tired and so what I do is I open social media your preferred social media of choice, or, or you open Fox News or CNN or whatever, you open that thing and you're just, you're reading or watching or taking in information, but your brain is not even really processing it anymore. It's just sort of coming through you, passing in one side and out the other. The, your brain's just on autopilot. It happens to me all the time. There's just, we spend too much time taking in and not enough time, sometimes not any time, being still and just letting our minds lie fallow. 
Like, we barely even have a place for silence and solitude and fallowness in our minds anymore where we just sort of be still and let it be empty. It just doesn't even happen for us most of the time anymore. Where we stop processing or listening and we just, we just listen to the Lord and decompress and unload and just let ourselves reset. It's kind of like restarting your phone. You ever get to the place where you're using your phone and it's just like doing weird stuff. It's like not doing what you tell it to do, crashing randomly, uh, taking you places, the buttons are not working anymore. And what you need to do in that kind of situation is to I have to tell my wife this all the time. She gets so frustrated with it. I'm like, have you tried restarting it? Just turn it off. Let it sit for a minute. Let the memory just sort of fade and, and reset itself. And then you turn it back on. And that's really what our, our hearts and our minds and our bodies need too. We need to be reset. So our natural tendency is to move at an unsustainable pace that our minds and our bodies and our souls were not made for. And so God designed in natural rhythms of rest because he knew that about us. We see this, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. It says, Thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, which is another word for repentance, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And in Isaiah 40, verse 30, 31, he says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And so part of God's rhythm of rest for us is actually just to rest. That rest, contrary to how we feel sometimes, is not an obligation. It's actually a gift that God gives to us. And it's a part of the rhythm and the way he designed us. And if you don't exercise this gift, your mind will go crazy, your body will wear out, and your heart will get hard. And so we have to rest. But secondly, part of God's rhythm of rest is also to exercise dependence. It's not just so that we might stop and rest, but that we would actively engage in and exercise dependence. The culture around us, and to be honest, most of our inner voices too, constantly tell us to work harder, that there's more to be done, that there's more tasks to do, more to produce, more money to be made, more people who need us, right, parents? And and our, our minds and our hearts tell us that if you ever stop, you just feel guilty for not doing something or you feel like you're falling behind. And so everything that needs to be done, the people that need us, I feel like for me is just always kind of hovering like invisibly right here. Do you ever feel like that? Like I just can't get away from it. There's things I should be doing right now. There's people who need me. And for me to stop just sort of makes me at times when I'm not functioning well, just feel guilty. But look what scripture says in John chapter 3 verse 27. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He can't produce it or go take it. You can't receive even one thing unless it comes from heaven. In Psalm 127, 1 and 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. But he gives to his beloved sleep. The Lord does. And unless he builds it, unless he creates it, you work at it in vain. So is there an argument for hard work? Sure there is. And does God expect us to to work really, really hard and to give our lives and, and ourselves to steward the things he's given us? Absolutely he does. But the consistent theme of Scripture is that every amount of production and fruit that comes from your life, that your lives produce, it comes from the hand of God. 
Every single thing that your life will ever produce, it comes from God producing it through you in your life. And when we understand that, it sets us free from the lie that everything depends on me. Any production that's going to come, I'm going to produce it. The people who need me, they need me, and they have to have me. It sets you free from the lie that everything depends on you, and it allows you to gladly admit your dependence. When you understand that everything that will be produced in your life, it only comes from the Lord, it allows you to gladly admit and acknowledge to yourself and to others that you are dependent on Him, and not only to admit it, but to actually intentionally exercise dependence on him. When you admit these things, it allows you to exercise that. And one of the primary ways we exercise dependence on God is we rest. You just stop working. You close the computer. You put down your tools. You leave the stack of clothes. You go home. You go to bed. Even if the work is not done, you just stop. And when you do that, you're saying to your own sinful heart. You're saying to your kids who are watching you live your life out. You're saying to the people around you that God is in control. And so in Exodus 20, there's this rhythm of rest that's designed into the fabric of creation from the very, very beginning that God expects us to pattern our lives after. So keep that in mind as one handle for how we process Sabbath. And then I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we'll see the second one. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to start there in verse 12. I think this is really interesting when we compare these two passages. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, again, Moses, reminding the people, says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Does that sound familiar? It's almost exactly the same as what we saw back in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. But the difference is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, grounds Sabbath in God's rhythm of creation. But look at what it says here in verse 15. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. So in Exodus chapter 20, you see that Sabbath is a proactive rhythm that's rooted in creation. That you just do it because God did it. You just, you just pattern your life after him, whether you're tired or not. You just build in rest. So you see that Sabbath is a proactive rhythm that's rooted in creation. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you see that Sabbath is a reactive rhythm that's rooted in redemption. That on, on the Sabbath day, what he tells his people to do is to what? To remember that's what he tells us to do on the Sabbath. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that I set you free and made you my people. That's what he tells them to do and to remember on the Sabbath. And so Sabbath is not only about rest. Sabbath is also about remembering. When God tells his people to remember your suffering, remember what that was like. Remember your groaning and remember that I rescued you. And not just that I did it, but he says, remember how I did it. That I did it in power. Do you remember that I brought the plagues 
that forced the Egyptians who would not let you go to set you free? And do you remember how I parted the seas for you so that you could walk across the seas on dry land? And how I crushed the Egyptians when they came in after you? He says, remember that you, in the midst of all of that, that you did nothing and I did everything for you to set you free. So what he's really saying is remember that I was your salvation and I am still your salvation. That's what he's telling them to remember on the Sabbath. Remember how I set you free. Remember who I was to you and remember I am still that same God to you, the one who sets you free and is your salvation. So a part of Sabbath is not only about rest, but it's about remembering. It's about remembering all that God has done. And a lot of what the Psalms are is the people of Israel writing these Psalms to help them remember what God had done. One example of this is, chapter, is Psalm 105, starting in verse 39. He says, He spread out a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So this is, if you're not familiar with it, this is them rewriting some of the stories of what God had done for their people in this poetic song-like kind of way. And so this is Israel remembering what God had done for them. And so many of the Psalms are like that. And church, the same thing is true for us, that God has done so much for us. He's done so much for each one of us, for each one of our families, for our churches. And so what he wants is for us to set aside time to pause our work, to rest. And when we rest, we don't just binge TV shows, not even the chosen, not when we're resting. We don't rest and just binge and kind of veg out while we do it. But we call to mind all the things that God has done. You call to mind how God led you through uncertain times when you didn't know what was going to happen, but you focus your eyes on him and he led you through the valley. You remember how he has protected you and provided for you. You remember how he has given freely and generously to you. And in the midst of suffering and loss, we remember that God was faithful to us when we were in it, that he was leading us in it, that he was sanctifying, and that he loves us so much. We remember those things. And part of Sabbath is that we stop and we intentionally call those things to mind and we remember the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of the Lord. That's part of what he's saying here. The second thing he's saying here is that we remember, part of Sabbath is remembering whose we are. And so he says, when, you, when the people were slaves in Egypt, they belonged to the Egyptians. They weren't free. That wasn't just some, like a symbolic thing. They belonged to the Egyptians. They served at Pharaoh's desires. They did whatever he told them to do, whenever he told them to do it, no matter how they felt about it. And then God says, but I stretched out my arm against him and brought you out of there in power. And now you belong to me. He says, now you are my people and you belong to me. Look at how he says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house of Pharaoh, from the hand of Pharaoh. And so he's saying really to them, when you were slaves, you never rested. Because slaves can't rest. 
They just serve the interests of their masters with no end. But he says, I set you free. And because I set you free, rest just because you can. And when you rest just because you can, you're worshiping because you don't belong to something else anymore. And when you do it, remember that you are no longer slaves, that you are my people. And so for us, this side of Jesus, this news is just celebratory because we know that God didn't just rescue us from slavery. He rescued us from sin, that we were spiritually dead in our sins and slaves to its passions. Galatians 4 verse 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, it says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. And what the Bible here calls flesh just means our natural desires were bent towards selfishness and evil. We were enslaved to sin, which means no matter how hard you try, you can't break free from it. You can't not give into it. You're slaves to it. Look, church, I don't even need to tell you what that's like. Every single one of us knows what that's like. To be enslaved to sin, to not be able to say no to these desires that we don't want to say no to or that we maybe we know we shouldn't do. We just keep giving into them over and over again. That's because we're slaves to it. But then God says that I sent Jesus to pay for your sin and defeat its power and set you free from it. In Romans 6, verse 6, he says, we know that our old self, listen to this, was crucified with Jesus. The old, fleshly, selfish Evil bent self died with Jesus when he died in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Isn't that good news, church? That we would no longer be stuck and unable to say no to it anymore, that he set us free in Jesus. And so part of what we do when we Sabbath is we remember whose we are and how God set us free in Jesus. And we remember that we don't have to work to make up for our sin. We don't have to work to, to earn our keep or keep our place with God. That we are free to stop and rest because God made us free and made us his own in Jesus. And so he tells us to stop and remember that and exercise it and live in those things. And so Sabbath is not only about rest. Sabbath is also about remembering. And so here's what we would say we mean about Sabbath. That Sabbath is not just rest. It's redemptive rest. That's where we miss the boat a lot of the time. Sabbath is not just about us stopping to rest. Sabbath is redemptive rest. It's restorative rest. So we're not just vegging out. There's a focus to our rest. We're not just passively resting from some things. We are actively resting in someone. That's the difference from Sabbath and other kinds of rest that we purposefully call to mind all that God has done. And we reflect on those things and we worship and we renew our hearts and our spirits and our minds in Jesus. That's what Sabbath is. And so for some of us, man, we are, our lack of Sabbath and rest in our life is because somewhere along the way, your kingdom priorities and your love for Jesus and your affection for the things of God just got hit by a tidal wave of culture. At this this 40-foot wave of all the culture tells you to do, of busyness and pressure to produce, just got swallowed up. It swallowed up all these things we, that we think we have and we follow after in Jesus, and now you're just stuck in that current. And so for you, if that's you, faithfulness to God looks like this, to recognize how dangerous that is and get out of the water for a minute. 
the, the, the pressure of work and school busyness and sports and, all, and family and all the things that just washes over you to recognize you're going to drown if you stay in it and get out of that for just a minute to breathe and to reset your first love and where your hope is and submit your, your life and your heart to Jesus all over again. That you need to step out of that rhythm for just a minute and see things a little bit more plainly and clearly and reset your life so that you don't get swallowed by that tidal wave and eventually die. Because you just got kind of caught up in it along the way. But for some of us, our lack of Sabbath and rest in our life is really about unbelief. That if you were to be honest with yourself, you don't believe you really can stop. Maybe it's because you think that you won't have enough or you'll get behind. Maybe you're more concerned with what other people think of you or what other people expect of you than what your Father has promised and commanded to you. And so your lack of rest and your lack of Sabbath is functional unbelief in your life, that you don't believe what God has said to be true about you and that he will honor you when you live by the commands that he's given you, even when they are difficult. And if that's you, then faithfulness looks like this, to confess your unbelief to God, to remember who God is, to remember what he's done and who you are, and to exercise faith in God by setting some boundaries and some habits in your life that start with worship. And they start with rest, and they start with Sabbath as you remember the holiness and the glory of God. That you confess your unbelief to him, and you reorganize your life around the things that you know to be true. Because Sabbath is supposed to be redemptive rest. It's not just a day off. And so I want to wrap up by just giving you sort of three handles for how you might go about putting some of these things into your life. Number one, establish rhythms of rest. You can't push yourself to the limits and then just give out and expect a day or two to replenish you. We're just not made that way. We're not created to live like that. We need rhythms of rest. This is like music. If you're always playing notes, if every single beat is always a note, that's not music, that's noise. That's like my kids going in our front room and just banging on the piano constantly. That's not music. Stop doing that. That's what you, you get. You want to cover your ears when you hear something like that because you need pauses and you need rest. But what, what makes it music, what makes it beautiful music is that you have moments of sound and rhythms where you play and then you have moments where you rest. And that in between these verses that we're singing, there are these moments of rest where there's this sort of counterbalance to the things we're hearing, and that's what makes it beautiful. And our lives are the same kind of way. We're not created to always just go and go and go and press play and make sound and always produce. We weren't created for that. God created us to need rest in a healthy way. And in order to do it, you have to build in natural rhythms when you stop working, when you stop creating, where you stop producing and you just be. And you get around things and people that restore you. Things and people that you enjoy, that bring life to you, that replenish you. And so I would encourage you to take the time to enjoy creation that God gave you. To enjoy people, to slow down and say yes to some things that cause you to go in the other direction. And you're going to have to do that on purpose. What's been really interesting about my family is that we have our three older kids are kind of all in this sort of block. Uh, right now we have 15, 12, and 10. So they're all in this sort of, you know, similar few years apart in life. And so, you know, we had toddlers and, and baby world and all that stuff. And they grew up and got bigger. And then they got all of a sudden they can start doing things on their own, right? And we can go new places and then kind of take care of themselves a little bit. And life started to look differently for us. 
And then God really prompted our heart to go back into the adoption. Man, there are, there are thousands and thousands of children who need forever homes to go back into the adoption pool. And so we put our name back in. And after this long, grueling process, we got matched up with this kiddo named Jesse. And God brought him into our family. And he was about to turn two when he came into our family. And I knew we've been down this road. Adoption can be hard, all the process, all that stuff can be difficult. What I was not ready and had not mentally prepared myself for is going back into toddler world. And so we had these older kids whose life had started to kind of look this kind of way that I was like kind of cool with. We had to go and do all kinds of fun things together. And then we had a two-year-old again who's now three, and he needs a nap, and he throws fits all the time, and he fusses about things, and he was pooping in his diaper, and we were, thought we were done with that. And so this whole rhythm of life really changed for us. And, and so I've had to go back in, and man, it's been hard. But one thing, I tend to be a sentimental guy anyway, but one thing this has really done for me, and going back in, in time a little bit, this guy who's, who's two and now three years old is making me remember my older kids when they were back in this space. And I, I tell them all the time, like, man, I love the 10-year-old that you are. I love my 12-year-old, my 15-year-old. But, man, I really, really miss my 6-year-old Juliet. I really miss my 5-year-old Sam. And it's just reminding me that things go by so fast and those things are never coming back again. And it's just causing me to want to go and live in those things again. So that when my 10-year-old, he's so solid and big and strong. And when he says, you want to wrestle? And sometimes I'm like, no, I don't want to wrestle, man. <laughs> but I just have this thing in me now that's, that's at the front of my mind because of what life has done with us that I just want to go, yes, I want to wrestle. And almost every time we do it, it creates a, it, it draws a crowd that we start wrestling and inevitably both of my other boys are on top of us by the time that thing is over. And every once in a while, my daughter is too. And we just have this pile of people stacked up because I said yes to something like that. Or my daughter is, uh, loves to paint and do all these other kind of uh, crafty creative. She's way more creative than me. Um, and so she's got this whole setup going in her room. And sometimes I just go up there and just check it out. And just see, tell me, man, what's the latest? What are you doing up in here? And just spend some time talking. And what's so cool for me is just that investment of time of more than half of the time. We just hang and do all these things together. And when I come back downstairs, she comes right downstairs behind me. And we just hang out and we do other things together as a family. But these moments and these conversations that happen because I just went up there and went against the grain of where life was taking me. And I've just, I've sort of been pulled back into that again because of what God's done in our life. Here's the reality here, church. Think about the dog piles that you're going to miss or the conversations that you won't have or the jokes that you'll miss out on because you're always busy. There will always be more to do. There will always be people who need you. And so sometimes you need to go the other direction just because you can and enjoy what God has given you. And that's part of the purpose and part of the rhythm that he created when he gave us the Sabbath. So number one, establish rhythms of rest. Number two, establish rhythms of remembering. So we don't just rest and play, but you need to create practices that remind you whose you are and all that God has done and that cause you to worship. And one of these is gathering for corporate worship, just like we're doing right now. Man, if we're going to be honest, life takes a whooping stick to us all week long, doesn't it? Y'all know what a whooping stick is? Some of y'all don't. It takes a whoop and stick to you all week long, and we need to be gathered together again to be reminded that our hope is in Jesus. We need to sing these songs that swell our hearts up to Jesus and have these people in this room wrap their arms around us and remind us that there is hope. 
and we need to remind others. So part of that rhythm is gathering for corporate worship, and you need rhythms like that in your family too, in the course of a day or a week where you remind your, yourselves that your hope is in Jesus, and you point your kids toward the cross, and you worship together, whether that looks like singing or reading a passage of Scripture or recounting the good deeds of the Lord in your life that week and the ways provided for you. When God does something miraculous, gather them people up around the table and talk about it. Point out the fact that God did something in your life. And another one of those is personal time with Jesus, that you need rhythms of connecting with Jesus every day to be renewed in him. A lot of us, what we're doing is taking these little five-minute blocks of unredemptive rest throughout the day. So you get stressed out at work or at home, and what happens is you just kind of space out for a little while. Or you go and grab a snack that you really don't need, or you jump on Facebook or on Instagram or on ESPN or Fox News or CNN, and you just kind of veg out for a little while. And you just see things and your mind's not really processing. And all of those tiny little escapes, they don't replenish you. They just stave off disaster for like another hour or two. And then you go and kind of get stressed again. And then you just kind of fall into this unredemptive, unrestoring break all over again. And it's kind of like being underwater and just kind of coming back up and gasping for air and then just going right down under the water again. But Sabbath is that you need to get out of the water and breathe deeply for a little while. And let God reset you and recharge you and refocus your eyes on the right things. And you need that over the course of a, of a week and over the course of a year. But you need that over the course of a day, too. That we need to go to Jesus and be reminded. We need to remember and rest in him, actively rest in him, and let him reset our priorities and our focus when we go into the day. So we need these rhythms. We need to establish rhythms of rest. We need to establish rhythms of actively remembering and calling to mind the things that God has done. And then the third one is this, don't resurrect what God kills. So when you go into times of Sabbath, whether it's in a day or a course of a week or a year, hopefully, as the Lord wills, he will do things in your heart. He will point out things to you, things that need to change, reset your agenda. He will reorder your life. And don't reburden yourself with the yoke that God breaks off with his own hands. So as you come out of these Sabbath times, these times of rest and reflection and connection and reset and connecting with people, don't rush right back into the rat race and enslave yourselves to people and systems all over again. And, and crush what God has killed and done and, and the things that God has done in your heart. But instead, create gospel-driven boundaries and healthy rhythms in your life that start and end with Jesus and with worship. And from that place of focusing, starting and ending with Jesus and with worship, ask the Lord, what things do you want to put on my agenda for the day? What things do you want to put on my agenda for this week or for this year? What things do you want to put on our family's plate? Don't just run into them because somebody asked you to do it or even because somebody told you to do it. But ask your Lord, the one who created you this way, what do you want for me? What do you want to set on my agenda? And let me go live out the plans that you have for me and exercise things in dependence instead of recreating and resurrecting these things that God has killed and brought to death in our hearts. And so I would encourage you this summer. I love that you guys have loved on uh, one of your pastors, Brian, by sending him away for time of sabbatical and reset. And I love that you guys have done that. It just means so much to me that you're caring for my friend in this way. And I would encourage you guys, too, as a church, to use the change of pace that summer is to explore and grow into this idea of Sabbath. Not just rest, but redemptive rest. 
So talk to your spouse about what does that look like. Talk to your friends about what might that look like in my life and your life and try some things out and just see what God will do. Some of those things are not going to work. I'll just prepare you for it right now. But as you experiment and try different things with your family and your, your particular routine and the things that give you life and maybe you discover some things that don't give you life or be honest, some people that don't give you life, that sometimes they need you and then there are other times when they don't need you. And just try some things out and set some rhythms and some priorities and practices in your life and just see what God will do in your life. Here's what I think is really cool. The big picture here that it's not just about you, that Sabbath allows you to experience the peace of God. It's going to allow you to work hard from a place of redemptive rest. And here's the thing, church, that is really countercultural. Almost nobody around you lives their life in this kind of way. And so if you live your life in this kind of way, they're going to notice those things in your life. They're going to wonder what is going on with you. They're going to have questions. They're going to make you, it's going to make you, them curious about the field's church. And you're going to have an opportunity to invite them into gospel-centered life and community, gospel-centered rhythms of rest and peace and trust, and then tell who, them who's at the center of that. And so it's not even just about you. But God will use this sort of countercultural, peaceful, restful community to be a church that is in the world. Did I say that right? I saw that coming in. That's how you be a church that's in the world. You go and live counterculturally in a way that is faithful to Jesus and people notice it. And you have an opportunity to invite them into it with you and tell them about the reason for the hope that you have. It's really been my privilege to be with you guys this morning. I love Graham. I love Brian. Um, they've been faithful friends for a long time for me and for Remedy Church. And I just say it's like Brian is such a good pastor. He is so encouraging and motivating to me. He, I think you probably know it, but if you didn't already, he loves you really, really deeply. He rejoices with you when you rejoice. He grieves with you when you grieve. I talk to him about those things. He loves you deeply and shepherds you really, really well. And I love that guy so much. So I am encouraged I'm inspired by him as a pastor, and I'm encouraged that you guys are really loving him well. And it's just my privilege. It's an honor to get to be with you guys today, to share a little bit of life between our two churches. So thank you for having me. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you as you go, shine his face upon you, give you grace and peace, and help you to be the people of God in the world that he's called you to be, that his glory would shine to friends, family, people who live around this YMCA, to the glory of his great name. Let's pray. Father, you have been so good to us. When we say that we need to stop and remember, what we really mean by that is we remember Jesus. And we remember the reason for the hope that we have. We remember all that you have done, that there was, there was an iron on us that we could not break off ourselves, but yet you broke it off in Jesus. And sometimes we just get so busy that we just forget about that. Or we get so stuck in the rhythms that life is throwing at us that we just forget what you've done. We forget whose we are. And so, Lord, I pray that through the word and through the power of your spirit that you would bring conviction to our hearts that would lead us into obedient response to you as we set our priorities and the rhythms and boundaries of our life around Jesus and the gospel, around the things that you have called us to in Scripture the unique and particular things that you have led us to as individual people and as an individual church. And God, that you would give us joy, that you would bring redemptive rest into our lives, 
I pray that you would, would reap a harvest of righteousness through the Fields Church as they live these things out together. That people around them and their families and their friends, people in this neighborhood and this part of town would see the goodness of God. That they would see your grace and your, the peace that you offer us when we root our lives in Jesus. And that you would open their mouths to declare your praise. They would tell people the reason for the hope that they have and that you would be high and lifted up in the view of other people through the way that the Fields Church lives together with one another and the way that they live in the world. God, we honor you and give you all the glory. We thank you for your word that it is truth and that we can base our life on it even when we don't have all the answers, even when we don't know exactly what that looks like, that you will lead us with faithfulness. God, we bless your name. We thank you that you loved us first in Jesus. And we love you and we pray in his name. Amen.